Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 3. The book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 3. Now we are still continuing with our series of the Millennial Kingdom. The Millennial Kingdom is the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ here upon the earth and it is something still yet in our future. It is such an important event that there are more passages dedicated to the millennial kingdom than any other subject in the Bible except for the tabernacle and temple. And inside of this, what we're doing is that we set a couple of of messages to describe our terms, define our terms, to explain the principles, to show the purposes. Then what we are doing is now we're starting to take a timeline of the things leading up to the millennial kingdom to try to hit some of these spotlights, to try to place these emphasis so that way we can have a better understanding of what the millennial kingdom is like inside of its context. The section that we've entered up to now is that we've already covered the rapture, the calling away of God's people, and now we're seeing what happens to God's people after they're raptured up is that we have to stand before God in something that is called the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible speaks about this passage in detail in context of the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 3. The book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 3, and if you don't mind, notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, And another said, I am of Apollos. Are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Neither he that watereth. But God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man taketh heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire." Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. 
For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 3? 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and notice the phrase, for we are laborers together. We are laborers together. And with the Lord's help, we want to see the judgment seat of Christ in this context with this idea being portrayed. We are laborers together. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, I'm just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us understanding, that you would help us to be able to discern and be able to prepare for standing before you, understanding what the judgment is for, what it contains, what is going to be judged, and how it's going to be judged. Help us to have wisdom in this that we can may apply it to our everyday lives and live our lives pleasing to you. Again, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your filling of your Holy Spirit that you could get your own work accomplished today through your precious word. Order my thoughts, order my words, order my lips. Set them the way that you declare them and want them and want to use them. And we could trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the church of Corinth was a church that was very much in trouble. The apostle Paul had received word from Chloe and her household of all the things that had been going on within the church of Corinth. And the church of Corinth was a very carnal church. The church of Corinth was a church that Paul the apostle himself had built. It was a very wealthy church made from uh, working class type people who had knew what it was to work hard. And yet with this wealthy church, they got to the idea that they were all super spiritual. All throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2, that the foundation is being laid about how these super spiritual Christians really are not as spiritual as they think they are. In fact, Paul is pointing out to them as we start this off, that we could see the carnal hindrances. The carnal hindrance. The idea of carnal in its basic form carries the idea of being in the flesh, being fleshly. With it, we carry this idea that if there is a carnal Christian or a carnal person, it's all about me. The idea of being carnal, it's all about pleasing the flesh, making my flesh happy. It's all about me. Now, because the people had it was all about me, it has put a huge hindrance in the work of God in the church of Corinth. That there's hindrances. They can't go forward. They all think they're super spiritual, but they're not. They're all about me. And the work has kind of screeched to a halt. And it's become a horrible testimony, not only to the Christian world, but also to the surrounding world in the city of Corinth. They're looking at this church saying, oh man, if that's what Christians are like, I don't want nothing to do with it. It is a horrible testimony. What are some of the things that are a hindrance? Notice we see the big thing that Paul is dealing with in the context. Notice with me in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Meaning, I wanted to tell you about spiritual things. I want to tell you about these great things, but not, I can't. I got to talk to you baby food. I could tell you as carnal. I got to feed you bit by bit. I could not speak unto you as unspiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have to speak to you as if you're spiritual babies because that's what you are. Spiritual babies. And I have to feed you this way. Verse number two, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither yet are ye now. Now, here it's giving an illustration that you can imagine taking your own baby home. When you take your own baby home, you feed the baby milk. You don't immediately take him from the hospital, cut up some steak and say, here you go, gum on that for a while. They're not able to handle it. They're not able to chew it and their stomachs are not able to process it yet. They only have to do with milk until the rest of their systems develop properly. Just same as a Christian. There's an idea of the milk of the word. I have to give you the milk. I can't give you any spiritual meat because you can't handle it. Yeah, I can't, you're, 
The only thing I can get you to do is take the milk because you are so carnal. And after all of these years, I'm writing back to you and say, I'm still have to feed you with milk because you have not spiritually developed. You've stayed as spiritual babies and I have to treat you as such because I have to correct this behavior that's going on. What's going on in this church? Well, notice verse three, for yet, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So Paul is calling him out and says, let me show you one evidence whereas you are carnal. Your divisions, your strife, and your envyings. The book of Proverbs tells us that it is only by pride that cometh forth contentions. What is pride? Looking at me, looking at me, looking at me. And that's the problem here is that they're all carnal. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Now what had happened inside of the church of Corinth is that there were four major divisions that had developed inside of this church. Everyone had picked a side. Everyone had picked a team. You had I'm a Paul crowd. Now you'd already spoken about this in chapter one and chapter two. But there was a crowd that says, I'm with Paul. Paul is the founder of the church and we stand with Paul. We're on Paul's side. And it's the type of idea that said, this is the way we've always done it. And this is the way we're always going to do it. There's no other way. This is the way we've always done it. We're not going to consider something else. We're with the founder. We're with how it's always been done. Then you had another group that said, I am of Apollos. Now, Apollos was a very eloquent evangelist, a revivalist. He was very eloquent in his speech. He was very excellent in his knowledge of the Bible. He's what everyone loved to listen to. He's equivalent to uh, a favorite evangelist that would travel through or a YouTube preacher that sounds very good. And the people in the church says, listen, we stand with Apollos. We like the way he does things. This is the way he wants to do things. So you know what? We're going to line up behind him. We're going to back him. And this is how we want to run things in the church. Then you had another crowd that says, I am of Cephas. Now, Cephas is a different version of the name Peter. Now, as far as we could tell, Peter had never showed up to the church of Corinth. What had happened is that these people had heard about things in Jerusalem and heard about Peter. And they said, we're of the Cephas crowd. We are of the way that our Bible college had taught us. We are of the way that our camp had taught us. We, we, we do things the way that uh, we had, our, our, that school, that church, that organization, that ministry over there does things. That's what we want to do. Then you had the super spiritual crowd that says, I am of Christ. I'm not of any of them. I'm of Christ. And they're the worst crowd because even though that sounds better, well, I'm on Jesus' side. It has the idea that all of you are wrong. I'm right because I'm on Jesus' side. So you have within this church four divisions. I'm of Paul. This is the way we've always done it. And this is the way we're always going to do it. I'm of Apollos. This is what my favorite YouTube preacher says. I'm of Cephas. This is what my Bible college, this ministry, this thing, this is the way they do it. And then I'm of Christ. I'm more spiritual than all of you. I'm better than all of you. And with all of these divisions, they're not working together. They're trying to get control of the church. They're trying to get more people on their side. They're trying, and this church is a mess. And Paul is saying, good grief. What are you, what are you thinking? You're just carnal babies and this is evidence of it. Your eyes aren't on the Lord. You're on yourself. You're trying to get your way. You're trying to do, make things your happen. You're trying to overthrow and, and go by power and might to get your way, your idea, your idea of getting things across. This church is a mess. Now, of course, there's a lot more things going on in Corinth and Paul's going to address them throughout the book. But in the purpose of this, we could see this carnal hindrance that they're full of divisions, they're full of strife, and it is hindering the growth and advancement of this local church. Now, as Paul is continuing to address this, there's a second thing here that it's God that gives the increase. It is God that gives the increase. Notice with me in verse number five. Who then is of Paul? 
who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. So Paul gives a running start and says, listen, who is Paul? Who's Apollos? These are just people that God used to lead you to the Lord. Sure, Paul may have led you to the Lord. Apollos may have led you to the Lord. <laughs> but that just who led you to the Lord doesn't mean anything. Notice as he goes on, verse 6. I have watered, or sorry, I have planted, Apollos watered, but it is God that gave the increase. Listen, it's God's work. The results are up to God. He said, I didn't do anything. I gave the seed down. Maybe you didn't get saved when I was here as the pastor, but maybe when Apollos came as the evangelist, that all of a sudden it made sense and you got saved. It wasn't because of Paul and it wasn't because of Apollos. You were saved because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It was God that saved you. I couldn't take away your sins. I couldn't do anything for you. All I could do was point you up to him, and it was God that did it. He's saying, listen, I don't know why you have this Paul camp. And Apollos would be appalled if you found out that there was an Apollos camp. And Peter's never been here, but if I tell him about this, he's like, what are they thinking? He says, none of us are pleased by it because it's not us. It's God that does it all. Our attention should be on him. By the way, that's where a church has unity is when all eyes are on the Lord. Everyone's looking at him. As long as we're looking at ourselves and trying to advance ourselves and trying to make ourselves better and look at how great I am and look how spiritual I am, then there's a problem. It's all about keeping our eyes on God. Paul's just admitting, I just laid some seed down. I, that's all I did. Apollos, he came by and watered that plant. But the guy who plants the seed and the guy who waters it cannot make the plant grow. None of you can make the plant grow. You remember doing that experiment when you were a kid, that thing where you took the kidney bean and put it in the ground and you, you put it in there, put it in the soil, put it, have it in the cup, you watered it and then stared at it. And after five minutes, nothing happened. You can't make it grow. You could yell at it. You could sing to it. You can't make it grow. That's outside of your realm. You could put more water into it. You could bring it to the sunlight. You could do what you want. You can't make it grow. That's outside of your control. Paul is saying, I didn't do anything but point you to the Lord. It was God that gave the increase. It was God that saved. You shouldn't have your eyes on men. Keep your eyes on the Lord. It's his business. Notice as he goes on, verse number six. <laughs> I have planted, Paulus watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Neither is he that watereth, but God gave the increase. It's not me. It's not Apollos. It's all about God. Get your eyes off men. Get your eyes on the Lord. That's who you need to be looking at. It's about pleasing him, following after him. Verse number eight. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. What do we mean by this? We're just instruments. It's all we are is tools. We're one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Everyone has a job to do. Paul's job in this illustration was to plant. Apollos' job was to water. All Paul is going to be judged for if his job was to plant was, Paul, how well did you do in planting? Apollos, your job is to water. How well did you do in watering? And everyone's going to get his own reward based off of his own labor. If it's not Paul's job to water, Paul is not going to be judged for how well the watering went. If it's not Apollos' job to plant, he's not going to be given account for how well Paul planted. I'm only going to be given an account and get my rewards and be accountable for what I was given to do. But it is God that does everything. He signs the jobs. It's all about him. God is the one it's all based off. Notice with me verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. So notice 
we're laboring together to God. God's using us as instruments. And he can use this instrument here and this instrument here and this instrument here. But it's God that's in charge of the whole thing. He's using different human instrumentality to get his work done. But it is God that brings the results. All I'm supposed to do is be a good instrument. And that all the credit goes up to God. God has showed us that not only are we the farmer, but we're the field. We're also God's building. That it is all about God. That carnality has no place in God's work because it's not about me. It's all about him. And that he gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. The only thing that I'm supposed to do is what God has given me to do. Trusting that God has a plan and I'm just a part of it. It's all on God. Now because he ends up here saying ye are God's building He's now going to switch over subjects and speak about five parts to God's building. Now, God's building is being referred to as the local church in that area. We are the local body of Christ, the local church of Christ in Seymour, Wisconsin. And as Paul is writing to this church of Corinth, they were the local body, the house of God in the city of Corinth. That inside of this, there are five parts to God's building. Now, this is going to be important to us because it's going to lead up to the judgment. We are not judged for what everyone else has done. We're judged for what we are supposed to do. And with this, we need to know that God has a plan. What is God's plan? Because we're being judged of what we're doing inside of God's work, of God's plan. So there are five parts here to God's building. Notice the first part here is the master builder. The master builder. The very first part of God's building of the local church, the local assembly, the building that is being used as illustration here is the master builder. Notice with me in verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder I have laid the foundation and the, another builder thereon. But notice this, we have the wise master builder. The master builder here is the head contractor, the head architect. It is the human leader of this local church. That is, God is directing traffic. He has put someone there to organize the efforts, to make sure that the building materials are right, to make sure that there's no fraud going on, to make sure that things are putting in their place the right place, to make sure that someone's accountable. This is the idea of a master builder, someone who's put in charge. This would be the pastor of the church. Now it's God's building. Notice the one who puts the master builder there in that position. Notice again, verse number 10, verse 1. According to the grace of God. It is God that places the pastor there for the purpose of being the person to organize the traffic, to organize the labor, to put things in order, to make sure the building is placed the way that God is instructed. The man on the scene, not someone in the headquarters somewhere else, but the man with boots on the ground, organizing the effort, training, putting people into place, organizing it. The master builder is a part of God's building and it is the human leader Notice that Paul is, refers to himself here. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Now remember, it was the apostle Paul who had started the church of Corinth. He was there for a year and a half laboring and working with them, seeing the people come to know the Lord. He's saying, God sent me there and he's put me there as the wise master builder under the grace of God. It was God that put me here. He said, you guys didn't put me here. You didn't call me here. You didn't uh, pay me to be here. God put me here. And God put me here for a reason to help organize the efforts to help build this local house, this building that God wants to do inside of this area to organize the efforts. The first part of this building would be the architect, the contractor, the wise master builder who is the human uh, operator with boots on the ground to organize the efforts to make sure that it is done the way that God has wanted it. Notice something else there. Not only do we have the wise master builder, but another important piece inside of God's building is the foundation. The foundation. 
Notice, if you don't mind, as we continue in verse number 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereupon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had said, I will build my church. Jesus didn't say you will build my church or you will build your church or I will build your church. Jesus said, I will build my church. He's the foundation. He's the only reason why we have to come here is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that saved us from our sins. He's what we all build upon. Every Christian has to start with this foundation of accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. There is no other foundation to be laid than that. And it was Jesus Christ who started the church and organized the church and said that he will build the church. Psalm 127 verse 1, unless they build... (laughs) Uh, unless, oh, unless basically, forgive me, I'll paraphrase it. Unless they do it God's way, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Sorry, my memorization thing just failed on me for a second. But unless, <laughs> unless he build, the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. We have to lay the foundation on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our common ground. He's the one who died for our sins. He's the one who promised to build the church. That's the foundation we lay. That's what we start off with. And the wise master builders organize the effort to build on top of that. Notice something else here. We have the master builder. We have the foundation. We also have the laborers. The laborers. The laborers are going to join the master builder and build upon the foundation he buildeth upon. Notice with me in verse 10 again. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So there's going to be laborers and they're going to be building on the foundation under the instruction and the organization of the wise master builder, putting these things together to build upon this. What we do understand here is that within a local church, there is only one ministry. There may be different aspects of the ministry. There's one thing that's getting accomplished and the people are doing their part helping this local church accomplish what God has given us to do. One ministry. There's no such thing as individual personalized ministries and you need to be very careful when someone names a ministry after themselves. God's ministry and we're doing what God has given us to do with different aspects of what God wants to get accomplished upon that foundation, that local church. By the way, it is a local church that he's speaking about, not a movement, not a minute, uh, not a <coughs> um, um, some universal saying, not a parachurch type thing. It is a local church that he is speaking about and putting this. And that every person needs to take heed how he buildeth thereupon. There's no room for everyone's agenda. Now, remember at the very beginning, we had talked about the problem was everybody wanted to get their own thing accomplished. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. But in this, Paul is saying, our eyes should be on God. It's his building. It's his foundation. It's he, his master builder. It's his labors that he's putting on. It's all about him. I don't have any right responsibility to do what I want to get done. I'm just supposed to do what God has given us to do under the direction of the wise master builder, building on the foundation of Christ to see the building put together exactly as God wanted it built. We're trusting God. God is doing it. So we have the master builder. We have the foundation. We have the laborers. But notice something else. We have to have the right materials. We have to have the right materials. Notice with me in verse number 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. 
Notice here, these are different building materials that could be built on the foundation. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. The Corinthians had a great knowledge of precious metals as building materials. Corinthian brass in the ancient world was sometimes worth more than gold. It was considered prettier than gold. This work, they, they knew what it was like to build something. Now in the ancient world, and even in the Middle even world, even to today, today we have, um, in America, we have building codes and certain ways that people have to build to make sure the house is going to be safe. But before that time, people would build whatever materials they had handy, what they could afford. And so there were many times like Rome or Chicago in the 1800s, everything was built out of wood. And so when a fire gets started, what's going to happen to that wood? It's all going to be burnt away. Nothing is going to be left over. Inside of Rome, when Nero set Rome on fire, the whole wardens would just catch on fire because everyone's home was just built out of wood, hay, and stubble. And when the fire went through, there was nothing left because it destroyed everything. The Corinthians knew how to work with metals and they knew how important of a building material it was. It was said that outside of Jerusalem, they had what was called the beautiful gate. And the beautiful gate was 60 feet tall and it was made out of nothing but Corinthian brass. It was just considered just a superb building material. Corinthians knew something about building. They knew that if you're going to build a building to last, it can't be built out of wood, hay, and stubble. You have to build it out of something that will try the test of fire. By the way, the Corinthians understood this idea of testing it by fire. That every man's work would be tried if someone who was working with brass, with gold or silver, to make sure that their work was pure, it would be tried by fire to see what was going to come out, to see if it was as pure as they claimed it to be. So they would understand this analogy that if I'm going to build a building and I want it to last, I have to use the right materials. Something that is going to stand the test of time. Only the precious metals will survive. When God is trying to build a building, which is not the framework here, when we talk about the local church, he's talking about the body, the people that are assembled together. He has got a purpose for it. And he wants to have something that's going to last, not something that's going to be built up in a hurry and then have some trouble and, and then it's blown away. He wants it to build correctly. And by the way, it takes time to build it correctly. You can't build it fast if it's going to build correctly. But if it's built correctly, it will stand the test of time. It won't just get blown over because some wolf goes all huff and puff and blow your house down. It is something that's going to stand when trials come, when troubles come. The fire is going to, to come and put it to test. It has to have the right materials. The right materials. So everything that we do for the Lord, our labor and what we put together has to be the way that God said it to be built. Not our own ideas. We do it what God said under the direction of the wise master builder, building on the right foundation that we labor together, taking care of how we build upon it, that it's not our ministry, it's not our idea, but we're following the instructions God has given and that we're using the right materials to make sure that it's going to last, not our own programs, but what does the Bible have to say about this? We also see one more thing, the right time frame, the right time frame. Notice this. Verse number 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day. Notice that phrase, the day. The day is something that has been referred to all throughout the Bible. And this is a day where we're going to stand before God and give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is for everyone who's accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that the day is going to be an important appointment. It is a day that we all have to mark down that we are going to stand an account. Notice what's going to happen on that day. Notice first of all on this day that it is for every man. It is for every man. Every man's work shall be made manifest. 
every man's work. What God's program inside of the world today is through God's local church. Without a doubt, God has made it very clear that we have to be laboring inside of the local church. And everybody who is saved, who's trusted Jesus Christ as a personal savior, is going to stand before God and give an account. Every man. No exceptions. Every man will give an account that day. Not only this, it will judge a man's work. Three times in this passage, it will talk about a man's work. Notice with me verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide with he build thereon, he shall receive a, work, a reward. If any man's work, so four times, four times it makes reference of every man's work. It is the product of a life. Every man's work. Now, every man's work inside of the local church. Now, that means if you're laboring outside of the local church for the ministry thing, outside of the organization, you, you're in danger right here because your work is not being done according to what God has said. This is why it's important for every Christian to be a member of a local church and not just a member, but an active member of the local church. This is what God's program is in this world today, is going through his local church. And every man's work is going to be declared. Not only this, that every man's work, it's going to be judged, but notice this, every, this day will make that work manifest. Verse 13 again, every man's work shall be made manifest. The word manifest has with the, the idea that it will be public and clearly seen. Every man's work will be manifest and clearly seen before everyone. When we're at the judgment seat of Christ, we're all going to be there. And we're going to see what's going to be done. Now, by the way, there are many people who labor in the backgrounds, in secret. They don't get the flash. They don't get the spotlight. That's going to be declared that day. And we're going to be able to see all the labor they did in the background. That's a blessing. God sees what everyone does. Everyone's work important. There's no one who's not important inside of a local church. God has a purpose for everyone to do. And that day is going to make it manifest. It is going to be clearly seen and apparent to everyone. Not only that, this day will make that work. It will declare that work. Notice this. Every man's work, verse 13, shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. This idea of declaring carries with it. It explains and it clarifies. What God is going to do is he is going to clearly reveal what this work was for and why. See what God's plan was. There are some times that we may scratch our head and say, I don't know what God's going to do with this, but this is what God's given me to do. And God's going to make it, declare it at that day. This is why I wanted this done. This is why I wanted this to be done this way. This is why I had you organize it this way. God had a plan and it's going to be made, declared that day. Why was it this way? You know, we could always look and say, well, why does God have us here? Couldn't God use us better over there? Why couldn't? God says, this is the reason why. I'm going to make it declare that day and you're going to go, wow, God knew what he was doing after all. That day will declare it. Notice as it goes on, it says this day will reveal. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed. The idea of reveal means it brings to light. Everyone will see it. It will be fully known. It will be revealed. The work that we do for the Lord within the organization of the local church is going to be revealed at this time. It's going to bring to light. We're going to see what God was doing. It's going to be made apparent. We're going to see how it all works together. But then we get to the judgment part. We're going to see that this day tries. This day tries. It shall be revealed for fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it does. This judgment is going to examine and put to test 
a quality of work to see what the quality of the work was, whether it was wood, hay, or stubble. Think about this. Everything that you do in your life is going to be put upon a foundation. And everything that you do in your life is going to be put to fire to see what sort of work it was. We were talking about earlier in Ecclesiastes how Solomon looked back in his life and he said, life without regard to God is empty. That's exactly what's going to happen when someone who's been living their life and not serving the Lord within the organization of a local church, they're going to come up empty. It's going to be tried and said, my whole life blown away, nothing but ashes, empty, empty. Or we could do things God's way in the way that God has organized it through the organization of a wise master builder in the confines of a local church. And we could see that the things that we did is going to be put to the fire and see that there are things that lasted. To see it was worth it. To see that God knew what he was doing. And as we did it his way, it's going to try the quality of work to prove that the work that we did was worth it and exactly what God has given to us. It was a life worth having. Again, think about how humbling that is to have all of your life put together in a big pile, lit on fire, and only those things that were done for the Lord the way that God said it is going to last. Everything else is burnt away. That 10,000 hours that you spent building a city on Minecraft, burn away. All those hours of watching Netflix, burned away. All of that time sent on your phone looking at Facebook, burnt away. All those hours that we spent knocking on doors and telling people about the Lord and every track we passed out, they remain. It's worth it. We're going to see the life that we have and to see that the things that we invested for Christ is going to matter and it is going to be a big deal. That day we'll try it. Notice as it goes on, that day rewards the worthy. Verse number 14, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. That when the fire is gone, all of our life is tried, the things that remain are going to be uh, examined, and we're going to receive a reward for those things that we did for the Lord that wasn't blown away. It was worth it. But we're also going to see that this day judges the unworthy. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. So notice, this isn't being judged whether we're going to hell or not. That's already been paid at the cross. cross. This is being judged for our labors. We're still going to heaven, but there's going to be people who suffer loss. And that they're going to see all of their life just burned away. And they're not going to receive the rewards. They're going to heaven. They're going to the millennial kingdom. Praise the Lord for that. But they're going to have a loss of rewards. They could have had a reward, but it's all gone. Because it was all blown away. This is a big deal. Now, the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is within the confines, the, the context of a local church. We're going to be judged knowing that this is what God's program in this world is for, is for the local church. And that we're supposed to get on board with what God is doing in this world. And that everything that we do is going to be judged, burned by fire, by did we do it God's way in the way that he said it ought to be done. Our life is going to be put together. And our life does matter. The Bible speaks more about this in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You guys have listened very patiently, but this is important, and we want to have a good understanding of this. When you are a member of the local New Testament church, everything that you do matters. The way that you carry yourself around town, the way that you carry yourself at home, the way that you deal with others, all of that matters. The Bible speaks about that more detail in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, notice with me in verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. For we must all 
appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to whether it hath been done, whether it be good or bad. During this day, you're going to be judged for everything you've done, whether it's good or whether it's bad, you're going to be judged. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. We know that when we stand before God, everything that we do is going to be put on this thing. It's going to be tried by fire. It's going to see what work we do. Think about this. D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist of yesteryear. But when he was a young man, because his wife, uh, his mother was a single mom and just struggling, he, as, while he was going to school, took upon him to go to work at a uh, shoe shop, a cobbler's shop, to help put together shoes and to help do whatever uh, the man told him to do so he could earn some money and help his mother out during those hard times. The man that he worked for was a man by the name of Dan McKay. Dan McKay was a dedicated Christian. Just going into a shop, you could tell that this is a man who loved the Lord by the way he treated his customers, by the way he worked with things. He also had Bible scripture everywhere that you could see. And as Dan McKay would work, he would... uh, he would have a cabinet right beside him where he had an open Bible that he could refer to uh, while he was working in his shop. Now, it was D.L. Moody's job as working with this cobbler is that he would take leather and they would cut it out to size to fit on a shoe. And they would put the leather and they would soak it into water. And then it was his job to take a metal uh, uh, plate in his lap and he would take a flat hammer and he would beat that leather and beat the water out of it. And then after the water was beat out of it, he, they would um, nail it to the shoe. That's how shoes were made back in, the day, in those days. And it was a tiresome, laborious work to take that leather and to beat out all the moisture, to make sure that it was bone dry before putting on a shoe. And he would work on it. D.L. Moody would tell in his own testimony that he wearied of that work. It was just, oh, I got to do this again. It's long and boring. It doesn't seem to have a purpose. Why? And, but he would do that. Well, just down the street, there was another shoe shop. D.L. Moody would pass it going to work and going back home. And he would notice that this shoe shop was uh, known to be run by a man who was very wicked, very vile. He was known to taking young kids and telling them dirty jokes and telling them vain and things. Parents just despised him because of the corruption that he would have and the influence upon the kids. D.L. Moody was actually forbidden to go and see that man. And as D.L. Moody would pass by the guy's shop, he would notice that the man, that when he would cobble shoes together, he would cut out the leather, put it in the water uh, to soak it up, and then he would, while it was still wet, immediately nail it to the shoe. And D.L. Moody was always wondering, why is he doing that when I'm just spending this time laboring and beating out this water out of the out of the leather it just doesn't make sense to me why is he doing it this way and we're doing it this way finally even though he knew he wasn't supposed to he just walked into the the uh, other cobbler's store and asked him why do you do that why do you i have to spend all this time beating that leather and drying it out why do you just put it right on he says because they come back to me more they come back to me sooner and what had happened is uh, D.L. Moody went back to his own shop and said, Mr. McKay, the guy down the street says that he puts on the leather wet and uh, he looks like he's prospering. He looks like his business is going well and you're always struggling. He says that he puts it on while they're still wet so people have to get their shoes uh, replaced more often. We have to replace the leather. They have to get new shoes. They come more often and that's how he makes money. Maybe we should consider doing such a thing. Well, Mr. McKay took his Bible and opened it up to D.L. Moody and said, listen, the reason why I don't do this is because the Bible gives the principle that everything I do, I'm supposed to do to the glory of God. He says, Dwight, what I imagine is that when I go to the judgment seat of Christ, every shoe I've ever cobbled together is going to be put in a pile. And that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to look at each one and he's going to inspect them and say which one was done right, which one was done for the glory. 
And he says, I want all of them to be done for his glory. I want all of them to be done to the glory of God. I want everything to be in debt in my life to be pleasing to him. D.L. Moody said, I never got over that principle. Everything we do matters. Everything we do is supposed to be done to the glory of God. Everything we do is going to be made manifest at the judgment seat of Christ, whether it be good or whether it be bad. When we stand before Christ, it is a big deal. And when we stand before Christ, all of our work, all of our labor that we've done for God or not done for God, is going to be put in a big pile and only those things done for Christ will last. And with that, we will receive rewards or if the things get burnt up, we'll receive loss of rewards. We'll not get the rewards that we could have had. And we're going to miss out. And it is a very big deal. Everything that you do matters. You say, well, <laughs> I do this at the local church and nobody sees it. Doesn't have to. God does. When I'm out in my community, I'm trying to do my best for the Lord. I'm doing it for his sake. That matters. You understand everything you do in your life is going to be lined up and is going to be set and judged. And those things that were done for Christ, for his motive, for his purpose to glorify him, those things will last. And we'll receive rewards or receive loss of rewards. So the question is, how is your judgment going to be? Are you doing things according to God's plan the way that God wants it to? Are you doing it for his glory and for his honor? Or are you like the Corinthians that it's all about you? My life, my way, my ministry, my labor. Is it all about you and what you could get done and how you could get bettered? Or is it done for God? What is your motive? What is your labor? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.